I missed you while I was in Israel, but we had a great trip. It was just an awesome time over there, many special moments, memories that will last a lifetime. And I, I scheduled with our guide that said we'll come back in uh, 2008, so time for you to start planning and saving up and, and uh, so that you can join us next time. I promise you won't be disappointed. It was a... Uh, Quite a trip, but it's really good to be home. It really, it feels good to, to be back for sure. And people have been asking me if I have jet lag. And, sorry, what was the question? I, <laughs> I don't know. Bob said we got back at 1 o'clock. All I know is by the time I got home, it was 2.30. Um, the boys and I had to stop off at Del Taco. You miss burritos, you know, after two weeks of not eating meat with cheese and all that. So... But So I got home at 2.30, and I spoke at 7 o'clock Saturday morning uh, for another church for a men's breakfast, and then did a wedding at 3.30 and went to the reception afterwards. And so I think I'm trying to get back on track with my time, and they say that's the way to do it. So on Monday and Tuesday, the church office will be closed because of 4th of July, but I'll be here on Monday. I'm determined to work my way through this. So if you need me for anything, call the church on Monday and punch through my extension, and it'll wake me up, and I'll answer and talk to you. <laughs> so um, let's have the ushers come forward to receive the offering, and as they do, go over some of the announcements for the week. Villa Valencia Senior Outreach is today, the opportunity to go over to Villa Valencia and to minister to the people who are living there, um, senior citizens. And so at 1 o'clock, we have a church service over there, and then at 2 o'clock, the opportunity to go out and minister to people who they love having visitors and people talking to them. College Career meets tonight at 7 up in the Fellowship Hall. The Wisdom Seekers meet July 9th. At 2 o'clock in the prayer room, there are flyers in the foyer. And so wisdom seekers are people as old as me or older, but you're also invited to come if you're younger, if you catch the hint. Um, VBS, July 10th and 11th from 9 to 12.30. Today is the last day when you can sign up for your children to attend VBS, but if you forget to, they're not going to turn you away. They would really just like to know how many people to expect. And if you can help out with VBS, there's a mandatory meeting. Well, let's see. There's a meeting for teachers and crafters today after second service up in the fellowship hall, and they have childcare and lunch provided. So if you're helping with VBS, um, you can attend that meeting, and there's also a mandatory meeting for all volunteers for VBS on July 9th after second service to finalize everything, and that one will also include lunch. Um, we're having a special meet and greet our missionaries evening on Sunday, July 16th at 5 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. It's one of those times this summer where several of our missionaries are home, and so we're going to get together with them, and dinner will be provided Let's see, Sunday, July 16th at 5 o'clock, and we'll have food, worship, and a time of sharing from Julia Chikawa, our missionary in Japan, Kimberly Wagner, who's our Campus Crusade missionary from all over the place, 
Mark and Zhejian Simon from East Asia, and it was great to see them and their kids here this morning. They're home for a few months. And again, dinner will be provided July 16th here at 5 o'clock in the fellowship. I'll come out and, and uh, enjoy hearing from our missionaries, hearing what God is doing in our body extended across the, the world. Um, there's a women's conference Saturday, July 22nd. There's a pretty cool-looking flyer. You can pick that up for all of you ladies. It's called Looking Unto Jesus. You can register in the foyer after the services and pick up a flyer. Junior high summer camp coming up July 30th. The deadline to sign up and pay in full is July 16th. If you have a junior hire and, uh, boy, you really want them to go to camp, it's a great opportunity for them to be with other kids, have a great time, be ministered to, and so sign up for that. Also, the junior high Ignite group is having a dinner out at the BB's home Friday, July 7th. That's this Friday at 6 p.m. So get information for that. Married Couples Retreat is coming up September 29th and 30th, and so get information about that. There's also an all-church baseball game outing. Saturday, September 9th, Angels versus the Toronto Blue Jays. Game starts at 7.05, but we're going to have a tailgate party at, I think they said, 5 o'clock, meeting under the Big A. So that'll be a fun time, September 9th, just to get together as a family and, and eat and watch baseball and cheer the angels on. Hopefully they have their act together by then, that point in September or it's all over. And so, uh, you know, come on out. It's a Anne doesn't know it yet. She's home, I think, with my younger son who's sick, and so I can leak it out to you that our anniversary is the night before, and so I'm going to surprise Anne for our anniversary by going to the angel game <laughs> with the church, so don't tell her. I think that's all the announcements. Let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. It's been great going through the book of Galatians. I'm enjoying it tremendously and just absorbing all that Paul shares with the Galatians that's applicable to us, the, the ways in which the, the law has a legitimate work to be done in our lives, and yet the truth of the gospel, God's grace, that sets us free from bondage, that turns us loose to live life the way it's designed to be lived. And, and so, as we've gone through this, now as we come toward the end of the book in chapters 5 and 6, he kind of outlines it from a practical standpoint to let us know more and more, here's how this knowledge actually works. Understanding it can be difficult because people tend to go one extreme or the other. Either we say, oh, we're free, so we can just do whatever we want and get into kind of an antinomianism where we don't have any rules. On the other hand, the other extreme is the extreme where we live by rules, we discipline ourselves, we've got to fix what's wrong with us, and therefore we need to be as, you know, careful as we can, and that leads to just a, a heavy sort of burden on us. The other extreme, antinomianism, is to where we ruin our own lives by doing dumb things. In reality, God has a perfect plan, and it's ultimately, as we we'll begin to see here walking in the Spirit. It's having a relationship with God that changes everything about us. Now, one of the weird things in life is how we almost always seem to mean well, 
but it just doesn't work out that way. There's an old expression that dates back probably a thousand years that says basically the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Usually when we have a disagreement with someone, we know we mean well, but we generally assume that they don't mean well. And you don't even want to hear it. If someone does something hurtful to you and people say, oh, they didn't mean it that way, or they even try to redefine what they did, well, I didn't mean to say it that way. And we think, yes, you did. The truth is we're pretty convinced that we mean well and no one else does. And it's a tension that comes about, this whole thing of meanings and and intention and what you were attempting to do comes about because of this confusing mess that's in our lives that we call the flesh. We're going to see it in this passage in Galatians 5. Over in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about it a lot too, and he basically lays it out and says, it's crazy. The things that I really want to do, I just don't do them. And the things that I really don't want to do, I find myself doing those things. In my heart, I really have this desire to do well. But in my life, it doesn't work out that way. And this is the flesh, and this is what Paul talks about here too. The fact is, there's a seed that's been planted within us. We inherited ultimately from Adam and Eve that we have this self-destructive tendency inside that no matter how well-meaning we are, no matter how good our intentions are, somewhere along the line, our flesh messes it up. And we do things that are, de- that are geared ultimately to destroying us. And so that's our problem, and that's what we call the flesh. People have this great debate on whether man is basically good or whether man is basically evil. And we usually fall down on one position or the other. And I think most Christians would say, no, man is basically evil. But there are a lot of people who are non-Christians or some Christians too who say, no, I believe man is basically good. And you determine that based on your experience ultimately. If you take the time to get to know people, you will realize there's something good. The image of God is put in everyone who's been created. And the truth is there is something good. In everyone. The truth is also that most of us think we're doing the right thing as we are doing it. But the truth is also that there's this kernel of flesh within us that causes whatever we start doing well to turn out badly. We have that tendency, we have that capacity. And so, what is it? Are we good or bad? Well, the truth is we're both. Most of us really think we're doing the right thing. And everyone who disagrees with you, the problem and the reason why we can't work it out very well is because they really think they're doing the right thing. And you go, well, how could they? Well, we all have a selfish view of our reality. The truth is, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think that I am right almost all the time. A couple times I start thinking I was wrong, and then I realize, no, I was wrong. I had been right all along. But mostly that's my perspective. Now, people who agree with me, I admire their wisdom. (laughs) People who disagree with me, they're just wrong. They have a right to be wrong. I'll allow them to be wrong because I know eventually they'll become right and see things my way. Sorry, that's my perspective. That's yours too. You may admit it and you may not. But the truth is that's what we all think. And that's what's really messing us up. How can we start so right 
and go so wrong? Well, here in Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16, Paul discusses this basic principle of conflict that's within us. And then he goes through a list of things that he calls the works of the flesh, evidence of what we're going to be sharing with you, the fact that there's this seed of wrong in us that manages to mess up anything that starts out right. He says, I say then, remember before this, a few weeks ago, last time I was here before I went to Israel, we were talking about love and how important love is in guiding us into truth and in correct behavior. And he cautioned them, be careful that you don't bite and devour each other. You have a tendency to bite someone else and you find out it hurts on you too. And he says, on the basis of this, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, your flesh won't take to completion the tendency that it has to mess you up. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. You wish good, but you don't do so well. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Man, what a list of things. Some of them, you might feel like you're doing pretty good. But you keep reading down the list, and especially if you look at at what Jesus said about some of these laws, like that if you've even looked after someone to lust after them, you've already committed adultery in your heart, you start to get uncomfortable with this list. But this is the hall of sin. These are the works of the flesh. And he said, if this is the practice of your life, you're acting like someone who isn't going to inherit eternal life. You're acting like someone who doesn't know God at all. And that causes us to sober up. Now, I'll be as happy as anyone to get past this list. We're going to spend a lot more time in the upcoming weeks talking about the fruit of the Spirit, mostly because not only is it more pleasant, but what he says here is that if you understand the walk in the Spirit, you'll find that the power of the flesh to mess you up becomes minimized, becomes overcome, overcoming evil with good. And so I don't think we need to be experts on this list of the works of the flesh in order for God to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in our lives. But he put it in here for a reason, and it's important, and we're going to look at it because it's essential. In order for us to understand what it is to walk in the Spirit, it's essential for us to understand how the flesh works. Now, again, With almost all of these things, these are not what people intend to do with their lives. No one says when when asked, Johnny, what are you going to be when you grow up? And Johnny says, you know, I'm not sure, but whatever it is I do for a living, I want to make sure that I'm drunk as much as possible, and I want to be an angry drunk. 
That's who I want to be. No one starts out that way. No one in getting married to someone says, you know, I'm committing myself to this other person, but boy, I hope I get some opportunities to commit some adultery too. I think that would add some spice to my life. You don't start that way. But what happens is, with all of our great intentions, with all of our expectations and beliefs and enthusiasm about the future, we still find ourselves so often being corrupted by our flesh. Again, it goes back to the Garden of Eden. Remember when Satan came to Eve, and Satan said to Eve, I know you're not supposed to eat the fruit, but look, if you take this fruit, it's going to be really good for you. It's going to be awesome. And what you'll find out is after you eat that fruit, you'll be much more like God. You'll know good and evil. And so it says Eve looked at the fruit. She said, man, it's good-looking fruit. It also looks like it would be pretty tasty. It's juicy and ripe, perfect. And, oh, man, if other fruit tastes good, this one looks like it'll taste better than any of them. And then she said, it'll also make me wise. How can I go wrong? There was nothing wrong with what Eve was desiring. But it's amazing how those desires can be corrupted by our flesh. And it ends up that the enemy uses what we want in order to twist it around and not only take away what we want, but give us something that's destructive. We have that seed of self-destruction within us. Now, as we look at this battle between the flesh and the spirit, it's not that these are two opposing forces that are constantly battling. It's that the flesh is clever enough that it will allow the spirit to start out and give you an idea. And then what the flesh says is, okay, let me tell you how to finish this. We saw this earlier in Galatians when Paul said, having begun in the Spirit, will you be made perfect or complete in the flesh? And that's how it works, guys. We start out right, and we become corrupted as the flesh influences us to take something good and turn it into something bad. You know, what we desire is to see God take what's bad and turn it good. Joseph saw this when he talked to his brothers after his brothers had sold them into slavery in Egypt. And they were kind of afraid when they figured out now Joseph is a big ruler in Egypt and he could have us killed. But Joseph consoled them by saying, hey guys, hey, what you meant to do, it was bad. But what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. But the flip side happens also. So many times, the things that we mean for good turn into evil. As, as the flesh takes hold and, and begins to rip us off. So as we look at this list of sins, I want to go through them quickly. And let's think about how they happen. Let's think about how they start and how they grow and how they ruin us ultimately. The first two sins are adultery and fornication, things we don't like to talk about. Adultery is violating your marriage vows by being involved with someone else who you aren't married to. Fornication is just being involved sexually with a person that you aren't married to. There's some overlapping there a bit. Like I said before, adultery just doesn't start where someone wakes up someday and decides to have an affair. There are certain people maybe that from the beginning, they just think, I'm going to you know, be as promiscuous as I possibly can within my life. But most people aren't that way. 
starts out innocently enough. You're friends with someone, and you're going through a lot, and this person is there to help talk you through it. They seem to understand in a way that maybe other people don't, and there's this spiritual connection even, sometimes with God sort of at the center of it, and a relationship that starts out like, hey, this is a good thing, or in a dating relationship whereby you love this person, you would do anything for them, and so you begin to open yourself up to them, and before you know it, You're doing things that you'll be sorry for. You're doing things that make you vulnerable in ways that you don't really want to be. And so you're racked with guilt and this feeling. Or in the case of a marriage, you're doing something that ultimately not only will cost you your marriage, but it can destroy your whole family. It can ruin your reputation with others. You can be completely devastated. But Satan's not stupid He doesn't start out by saying, here you are, you just got married, congratulations. Now there's a sin that you could never really commit before, and you get to do it now. It's called adultery. It's really fun. It's a great way to get out of a relationship when things aren't going well. So plan for it, count on it, start saving up for it, because it's going to cost you a lot. But hey, ruin your life. He doesn't do that. He just baits you by having you feel like there's some needs that you have that aren't being met, that there's a person who really understands and appreciates you, and you can reach out and encourage and help them. And before you know it, you're sucked into this vortex of involvement that will destroy you. Your flesh will ruin your life in so many countless ways. Work of the flesh. How does something that starts so beautifully deteriorate into something so destructive well it's the flesh and it happens but we go on as we look down this rogues list the next one he says is uncleanness uncleanness is the greek word there is a catharsis catharsis as you might know is a word that means healing if something's cathartic it's something that promotes healing in a person a catharsis is the opposite of that something that's not healing And so again, spinning off these first two words, he's now talking about something that is not only not healing, but it rubs salt in the wound. It hurts someone who's, you know, needs healing. And again, that's where it starts. A catharsis starts with catharsis. You think this is going to help. This is going to be better. And so our desire, hey, let's help other people. Let's be a force for healing. We see them hurting, and maybe we have a way of making a difference for them. It's why people so often in helping professions find themselves doing things that end up wounding and injuring the people that they're supposed to be healing and helping. It's a serious problem. It's why we're so, we have to be so paranoid with security and Megan's Law and all these sorts of things is because there's a sick thing within people that can start out as healing and turn into something that's anything but healing. And there are so many people who destroy the lives of others by abusing them, and yet in their heart they were convinced that they really loved that person, that they really desired to help them and minister to them. I remember one day when I was in the prayer room over at Calvary, and a guy came in and seemed kind of distraught. And I don't want to be insensitive to the person, but, you know, he looked like he was really hurting. And so I sat down with him, and I said, hey, what can I pray for you about? 
And he said, I don't know how to say this, but I love my daughters too much. And you can tell where this is going. I, I said, what do you mean you love your daughters too much? And he said, well, I, I just got out of jail for doing some things with my daughters, and I still have this intense love for them and this desire to do something to them. And I, I, I couldn't believe it, that he was wording it in that way, that he could see it from that perspective. I'm, I'm not proud of the fact that I didn't pray with him. I didn't uh, try to minister to him. I didn't encourage him. I almost grabbed him and beat him up. I threw him out of the prayer room. I just, uh, I just wasn't. I, I pray that God sent someone along to minister to him. I, and I, you know, again, I, I try to be sensitive and know that, hey, every sin that's out there isn't that much different than any other sins. But I'll just tell you right now, I am not someone who wants to minister to people who would molest children. It's just not my gift. If it's yours, great. You can have them. But for me, it was like, ah. And he go, I thought about that guy many times, and I did pray for him many times after that, thinking, what can cause someone to believe that they're loving someone, and yet they're doing things to them that's going to mess them up for the rest of their lives? Somewhere 20, 30 years down the road, they're going to be trying to untangle all this with a therapist somewhere and figure out how did love do that? Well, again, the flesh comes in. Something that starts out even innocently enough and deteriorates into something that's just gross and sickening and destructive. And we need to understand that we all have that same flesh working inside of us. We're all this walking jumble of contradiction. And our, our cry is the cry of Paul's, who's able to deliver me? I try to help somebody, I end up hurting them. How does that work? We go on and we see the next word there is lewdness. That's a word that literally means that you don't have control of your bodily functions to expel excrement. You get that? And I, you know, I don't want to be too descriptive or too gross. But basically, the word refers to what happens when you just try to control yourself and you can't and it just gushes out. And it's just... And so often that's the experience of people who get caught up in sin. It's I keep control for a while, but man, I just, I can't control it. I couldn't stop it. I can't help it. He goes on to talk about idolatry. Idolatry, image worship. Idolatry is putting something in a place that only God should be in. And we can look at other people and we can say, you know, of these other cultures, how could they worship those stupid little gods? And yet, we can easily worship idols of our own, American idols, or cars that are things that we think a lot of. When we are living our lives paranoid about what people think of us, when we're concerned that maybe we don't look quite right, or we aren't acting quite right, or we're not presenting the right image, we're an icon of something we shouldn't be. We're treading on territory that can lead to idolatry, that can cause us to fall into the same kind of worship. And again, it starts out with a good thing. There's something wrong with you if you don't care what anyone thinks of you. Now, 
On the one hand, it's nice when you find people who have this refreshing honesty and they seem like they're not too obsessed with who they are and what people think of them. And we enjoy that, but only to a point. Next Sunday, if you decide, you know what, I don't care what people think of how I look. So I think I'm just going to get right out of bed, throw on a robe and slippers, and I'm going to church. Don't do that. We, we, we appreciate that you feel that free, but not here. Don't do that. Just stay home. You can stay home naked. I don't care. And watch on the internet. But if you're coming here, be considerate of people around you. But see, at first it starts out by, mm, I care about what people think. And yet the flesh gets in there and it deteriorates to this point where I'm obsessed with what people think of me. I'm constantly wondering what they think and conscious of how they're treating me and, oh, why isn't he looking at me? Why isn't he talking to me? They're being weird with me and we, and we obsess on image. And it's something that starts out okay, but it ends up, it destroys us because no one wants to be around someone who's that obsessed with image. And so as a result, it ends up destroying you. It ends up that you won't be aware of what other people think of you, but believe me, they will be thinking of you, but not in an attractive way. Idolatry, living for material things, living to try to impress, to keep up with the Joneses. The next word he has here is sorcery. Now, sorcery is uh, the Greek word pharmakia, and often pastors get off on this and just say this is drug use. It's not really drug use. There were drugs involved with sorcery, but sorcery was much more than drug use. It was witchcraft. It was trying to manipulate the spiritual world by doing things in the physical world, achieving that kind of spiritual power. Now, you might say, oh, sorcery. Finally, one of these I can relax on. I just don't do sorcery. Well, I don't know. Because I think that this is something that can become a real danger for us as believers even. That we begin to see the spiritual world in a way that we need to dot the I's and cross the T's so that, so that we can see God do things for us. I think the way some people look at their walk with the Lord and their prayer life, it's almost magic. It's almost sorcery. I have to say it just right or it's not going to work. But if I say it just right... If I pray my prayer exactly the way God outlines it, and I say, in Jesus' name, amen, then God has no choice but to do what I ask him to do. And oh, if it doesn't happen that way, I am better look out. You know, if I pray for a parking place and I get one, great. But if I don't pray for a parking place, I'm not going to get one. I'm going to park way out. Or if I get a great parking place and I didn't pray for it, wait a minute, does that mean that Satan gave me the parking place and somebody's going to ram a card into my car? I didn't pray. I can't take it as God. I didn't read my Bible today. Oh, no. I didn't pray before a meal. Am I going to get food poisoning? Because I didn't say my little magic prayer before the meal. And we start living in a world that's magic, a world whereby we think that what we do is going to force God to do what we want him to do. Sorcery isn't good. Whether it's some pagan sorcery or whether it's a Christianized version of sorcery, again, the intent is good. Hey, we want good things to happen. But if we think that good things are going to happen because we do the right things, then it becomes this condition, you know, response, stimulus and response sort of a deal where if you do what's right, you're going to get what's right. If you tithe on your gross, then God's going to bless your gross. 
If you only tithe on your net, well, God's only going to bless your net. And if you don't tithe, oh man, you're going to be broke someday. You'll see. It's magic. It's, it's crazy. It's nuts. That's not the way God deals with us. We don't need to play these games and try to get God to jump through hoops. It starts out being a concern for what's good. It ends up being we're so obsessed with, with results and we're so obsessed with procedure and we're living under some crazy law where we're afraid that God's going to somehow catch on to us and know who we really are and not approve of us and then smash us. It's the world whereby people say, whatever you do, don't say, I would sure never go to India or I would never go live somewhere where you have to eat bugs. Be careful because if you say that, God's going to make you do it. No, he's not. That's nuts. But again, here, it's a work of the flesh. It's how we turn real relationship into phony magic. And, and he's going, no, that's, that's the flesh. That's not real. That's not true. That's not how you should live. He goes on to say hatred. No one started out hating. You tend to hate people because enough people have done bad things to you, you get fed up. You get ripped off enough, you get taken advantage of, and eventually, I hate. So we look at someone who's hateful, and we see them as someone who's just going to make us more hateful. On the flight back from Israel the other day, an airline that I won't name, but their country is really good at hockey. Um, they, there, was a, there was a flight attendant on there who was one of the meanest people I've ever seen in the public eye. I mean, it was, she was snapping at people, just so angry and, and seemed bitter. And I really resented what she was doing to my time. Not only that, I was plotting ways in which I could irritate her the way other people were. I didn't do it. Because I, I didn't have an aisle seat. It would have just been too much trouble. I was over on the window. But I looked at her, and finally I began to pray for her and think, what makes someone that angry and that hateful? I wonder what happened in her life that caused her to be this way. I'm sure she didn't. When she was a little baby, she was as cute as anyone. Now, hideous with this attitude, and how does that happen? Well, the same way it happens to you and to me. When we find ourselves feeling these strong feelings of resentment toward other people, and actually something that you wouldn't describe it as hate, because we're too nice to call it that, but we'll find some other word to describe it, but the truth is we want bad things to happen to those people. We're hoping as they walk down the aisle of the, of the plane, we're hoping someone has their elbow out and kind of catches them and knocks them down. We would take great pleasure in that. And then we go, wait a minute. I'm becoming like what I despise. I'm starting to become hateful. It's contagious. I was thinking of this. I, I got a little cold on the way back, and we were singing, you know, this is the air I breathe. I thought, that's the problem. We're on an airplane. We're breathing the same air. Well, we inherited this planet together. We're all in it together. And as a result, unfortunately, everything that I am is contagious to you. And everything that you are is contagious to me. And so, again, he, in laying this out, he talks about hatred. And how does that come from? 
What does that come from? He goes on to talk about contentions, fighting among people, jealousies. Why is it that I see someone get something I think they don't deserve because I think I deserve it instead? And, and realizing, hey, wait a minute, I'm getting ripped off. You got a good deal. We had one person on our Israel trip who got bumped to first class. Why couldn't it be me? I mean, hey, I'm old. I'm pastor. You know, I could have, wouldn't have hurt them to put me in first class, but no. They had to put Dale in first class. <laughs> but we, we look at someone else being blessed, and then we go, hmm, nice for them. It kind of makes me mad. It's crazy. Instead of, it's not like, well, there's only so much to go around. God's blessings are infinite to all of us. And yet, why is it that we sometimes have a hard time seeing God choose to bless someone else? Reading on in this, ooh, it's getting late, huh? Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, divisions, heresies. How do these fit in? Heresies are false teachings, teaching something about God that really isn't God. You know, the funny thing is, all heresies started out innocently enough, or most of them did. I think there are some churches that just, where someone just decided, like L. Ron Hubbard, the Church of Scientology, I, I may be judging him incorrectly, and so I apologize to him wherever he is. But, uh, <laughs> but I think he just made up a religion, so I give him credit for it. But... Mostly what happens is somebody sees a scripture verse or an idea, and they go, wow, this is great. I'm going to build my whole movement around this truth or this concept or this scripture. And what happens ultimately, you start to lose the balance of good doctrine and good teaching. You start seeing things that no one else in the history of the church has seen before. And what happens? Heresy, false teaching. And that heresy can lead a whole lot of people astray well, you just thought you were saying what the Bible said, but you're interpreting it in such a way that causes division and, and hurt in the lives of people. Envy, murders, drunken revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, he says... The only way to defeat this self-destructive tendency that we have that we call the old man or the flesh or sin, the only way to defeat it is to learn how to walk in the Spirit, to learn to allow God's Spirit to work within us. Because, as he said earlier in the book, our tendency, beginning in the Spirit and being made perfect in the flesh, we are so good at starting well. We're so good at getting off to a great start. We get some great idea and we go for it. Somewhere along the road, it just doesn't work the way we want it to. I'm not obsessed with diet, but let's face it, this is one of the areas where we can see this happen so clearly and so obviously. Say it's the beginning of a new year, or maybe you're going, ooh, summer's here, bathing suit season. And so you go, you know, it's time for me to get in shape. Now, you may want to get in shape to be more attractive, but usually you don't say that. It's like, well, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I really want to get six-pack ripped abs 
so that I can bring glory to God. And so it's like, man, this is nothing wrong with that. It's a great idea. Yeah, I should start eating right, taking care of myself, and exercising. What you will to do, what you want, it's a good thing. I think we should all have ripped abs. But your body, while you're saying that sincerely and honestly, your body is saying, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Body has different ideas. And that's the problem with the flesh. And that's the problem with everything about us. We start out so well. We start in the Spirit. God gives us a vision or a dream of what He wants to do in our lives, and we're pumped, we're excited. But what happens, somewhere along the line, the flesh wells up within us, and we give up, we stop trying, and we change our commitment, and we allow ourselves to deteriorate, and what happens? We took over something that God wanted to do. But you guys, we are designed to start in the Spirit and to finish in the Spirit, to be made perfect in the Spirit. And that's what it is, to walk in the Spirit. And as we spend the next few weeks looking through the rest of this chapter, I want to focus on what that actually means and what it looks like. This morning, we've covered what the problem is, basically, and what the solution is ultimately. But how that solution lives itself out in our lives is going to take some more time, and so we'll explore, explore that over the next week. But what I want you to take away today and really have a handle on is can we agree that every one of us has this tendency to turn something good into something bad, to take something that's well-intentioned and to turn it into something that is destructive and hurtful? If you don't get that, you're never going to get the solution. If you're going to hang on in your pride and say, I'm not that way. My flesh doesn't do that. I haven't sinned in a long time. I mean, what do you say when I ask you, what's the last time you sinned? Do you really have to think a long time? Like, oh, man, let's see, this was a pretty good week. I, I think it was back when I was 14. And I, <laughs> Come on. Some of you have sinned while we were sitting here. Some of you, during this message, you've sinned against me by the things you're thinking about me because of things that I'm saying. You're already writing it down on the back of a bulletin to drop it in the plate so you can hurt me while I'm so tired and worn out from it. And if I've said things that are offensive today, it's because of jet lag. Cut me some slack. But there you are sinning against me thinking that I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. I'm never wrong. I'm God's servant and He speaks through me. Now, let's see, when was the last time I sinned? Who? just now. <laughs> We've all sinned. We do it constantly. We've developed it into an art form. And you know what? That's not the problem. The problem ultimately isn't that we sin. If that was our problem, there would be no hope. The problem is we don't admit when we sin. We don't confess our sin. We fake it. We fake it with others, we, we pretend to be something that we aren't, and sin is eating us away and destroying us, and we don't let God remedy the problem. And so he lays out for us a grocery list of some of the things that indicate this is the way people live when they are on their way to hell. This is the way people live who are destroying themselves. Not to tell you, okay, go down the checklist, sorry, you're going to hell, do not pass go, do not collect $200. 
It's like, okay, what does my life look like compared to what the life of somebody who's walking in the Spirit is supposed to look like, the fruit of the Spirit that we will see later? You won't ever stop sinning. You won't ever get to the point where you can go down this list of works of the flesh and go, cool, I've eliminated them all. Or you think, you know, I bet if I eliminated one of these a week, by the end of the year, I'd be really spiritual. It doesn't work that way. It's allowing God's Spirit to lead and to guide us. It's opening ourselves up to Him, allowing fruit of the Spirit to grow forth from our lives. That's what crowds out the works of the flesh. He's only telling us the works of the flesh to say, look how messed up you are. Look what got you here. It was thinking for yourself. It was doing what comes naturally. It was walking in the flesh. And he says, it doesn't have to be this way. You can begin in the Spirit, and you can be made mature in the Spirit as well. God wants you to grow. He wants to draw you into a relationship with Him whereby not only you hear from Him, but sometimes you just do things His way without even thinking about it. Because he gives you the desires of your heart. He leads and guides you in a way that it seems accidental. But miracles are happening in your life. Because God's spirit is working. You guys, that's what God wants for us. That's the lifestyle of the spirit-filled Christian. And I want to learn that. And I want that for you. I want that for our church. I want us to be led by the spirit, walking in the spirit. It's just so exhausting to walk in the flesh, to live in the flesh, to have your life be dominated by jealousy and anger, resentment and suspicion, filthy thoughts, a lack of control. Living that way just wears you out. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. God will lead us, and He will guide us, and He will protect us, and our main responsibility is to understand that's what we need desperately. We plead guilty to being sinners. That's not news. That's not something that would be earth-shattering to us. But the amazing thing is God can work His righteousness in our lives by His Spirit. And that's what we want. That's what we desperately need. And that's what Paul is leading us to as an alternative to the law. Follow the rules, feel lousy, feel guilty, fail, get up, try it again, do it some more, fail again, ruin your life, kill yourself. That's the way life works unless you can figure out what it is to walk in the Spirit. And that's the promise that God holds out for us. Let's pray. Lord, how grateful we are that there's another way. We've tried being made perfect in our flesh. But we realize all of our good intentions just don't get us anywhere. Because we come to our own limitation and our flesh is able to turn anything good into something bad. God, we have this capacity in our sinful heads that we can start thinking about the most beautiful and innocent thing. And next thing we know, our mind is on something gross and weird because in our flesh doesn't dwell any good thing. But Lord, because your image has been placed upon us, we do want what's right. You're going to have to give it to us. So God, work by your Spirit in our lives. Teach us to walk in the Spirit 
And then that all of these destructive tendencies we have could just start to melt away and we would make some progress and our lives would start to look more like heaven than hell. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.